Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFR Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on episode 16 as co-host is a man you know on Twitter as JeppyDT. Welcome to the show, Jep. Thanks, Pete. How are you going? Uh, very good. How's life over in Perth? Yeah, pretty standard. A uh, bit weird weather, and everything's ramping up with um, with footy and, and the Marsh series around the corner. Yes, pre-season games. Everyone gets a real look at the footy now, so it's uh, no more guessing and and looking at reports. It's actually viewing footy and making decisions for ourselves. Before we kick off player news and notes, we'll start with your Brody Grundy take and why you are considering fading him <laughs> at round one. Jeez, I almost broke Twitter today, didn't I? Far out. I um, look obviously Brody Grundy, fantastic fantasy pig and. Um, but comes at a cost, and I just thought, well, let's consider some options here because we all look for our PODs, and I, I, we've mentioned previously, you know, Grundy's just signed a seven-year deal, pretty pretty cruisy, pretty comfy. Um, not not too much more um, he needs to prove in terms to, to maximise his contract in that aspect. Obviously, he's still a competitive bloke and wants to do his best, but I just looked at some options, and I'll, I'll throw these to you. Of, of not starting Grundy, and I do a two-play comparison. So mm-hmm. let's say Grundy in a 170K defender, or in lieu of that, would you go Jacobs or Blake, Connor Blakely, as an example? What do you think? Which one would you prefer, Grundy in a 170K defender or Jacobs and Connor Blakely? For me, I don't look at it like that. The one thing that I'm looking at early in the season especially with minimum premiums in your team, is the ability to choose a captain. And Grundy, with his high ceiling, I don't think he can be passed up on as an option as captain. So I, don't, I wouldn't even get to that point of a two-player comparison. Okay. All right, I, that I understand. Um, I get it, yeah. There's the option of having Grundy there as a captain. Um, but to me, it's about maximising value here. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Grundy will hold his average mm-hmm. early in the season and much like you did last year um, you didn't start with um, Gorn I believe and, and Grundy and Grundy, that's right and um, you, you traded them in early rounds round 6 or 7 or 5 from memory yep. as per our weekly discussions that we have so look I, I just threw, threw, these, threw these comparisons out for the listeners Um so there was also Grundy and um, Angus, uh, not Angus Brayshaw, sorry, Grundy and Andrew Brayshaw, so a mid-price forward, or would you go Gorn and Walters? So you, I consider Walters a primo this year. Um, I think he's going to be a top six forward. So I'm cu- currently considering that. Or there's Grundy and Dylan Stevens, or Gorn and Jack Stephen mm. um, as another comparison. So look, it's just food for thought. Yes, Grundy's a phenomenal fantasy player and footballer. We all know that. Um, I'm trying to find a POD. I'm trying to find some value and and have an edge. And, um, yeah, I'll just put it out there for discussion. And a lot of passionate fantasy coaches out there was calling me crazy. And then there were the others. There was, you know, there was a handful that um, are toying with the idea like I am. The one thing that I also look for to start the season, and also you just mentioned it then, 
was looking at players, and we discussed this on our, on our podcast last week, was players maintaining their average at the start of the season. Correct. Because if you run into, if you pay for a high price for a player and they drop in salary, they're easily obtainable by other fantasy coaches. The one thing I look at, based on last year as well, I did fade Grundy and Gorn at the start of the year because I could see that salary drop, and both did. So I saved, just just off the top of my head, I saved about 150k, traded them in both by about round six, but there were two trades there. So from a cash saving point of view, it did work. In hindsight, I would have only done one only to fade, and I did start with Goldstein, but I didn't go to the Riley O'Brien option, which was obviously, we've discussed before, that Craig, the overall winner, did last year. I didn't do that. I went back to Gorn and Grundy really quickly. So, again, the one thing that I look for is a early salary drop, and I take that into consideration when making a decision for Grundy. Now, back on Grundy at round one this year, the Collingwood play the Bulldogs. Yeah. The last two games versus Tim English, Grundy has scored 168 points and 153 points, both last year. So that's an average of 160.5 points. In the first three rounds, Collingwood play, obviously, the Bulldogs round one, Richmond, Nankervis, round two. Round three, it's Hawthorne, either Segler or McAvoy, depending on what the Hawks' ruck set up. That is a pretty decent start to the season for Grundy. I don't see a prior slide here in the first three rounds. Yeah, look, and valid points, and I'm not going to disagree with you at all, at all, in any way, um, shape or form. It's um, it was it's just food for thought. It's um, I agree that yep, versus the Bulldogs, it's looking pretty pretty tasty, and. Um, then he's got Richmond and Hawthorne after that, as you said. So, yeah, um, it's just the nine hundred six thousand for me. I can I can do a bit more with it, um, but keeping the cat having yeah, like many of our mates say, having two Grundies is better than one in terms of the captain. So yeah, there's look, it's 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 good factual information you've provided there that um, that we all need to be that we all need to consider just before round one lockout. The one reason that I would fade Grundy is price. but And that's the price at round one. But the one thing that I need to see, and I just don't see it here in the early part of the season, is the salary slide, albeit a, a, not a significant one at least anyway. Yep, yeah, fair. Another question that has been raised over the pre-season, and I guess this will be answered post the pre-season series, Given that it will be highly likely we will have multiple 170k rooks in each line to start the season, do you put more expensive rookies on the bench for cash generation or speculate 170k rooks likely to play? Your thoughts there? So typically, in fact, almost always, I've always start with 170k or bottom priced um, cash cows on the bench because of I just want to maximise my value on on field for scoring. Mm. So that's always been a strategy of mine. I don't think I'll change it. Um, and I think there will be enough 170k rooks to start round one. Mm-hmm. I do believe that from what I'm reading and seeing. So, um, yeah, 
good call. I would push it, you know, like a Starkovic to um, a D7 or D8 spot, absolutely. Um, spending the extra 19, 20 odd grand, don't have an issue with that. But typically, I'd try limit it to um, 170k where I could and maximise the on-field spend. I'm, I'm one to not have a big war chest um, at round one lockout. I, I like to 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 see what I can gauge from all the primos and rooks and mid prices to start the year and um, maximise all the salary cap prior to round one. I guess for me, to answer that question, I think we're going to find out a lot once the pre-season games are finished and to see where the rookies lie in anticipation to play in round one. Uh, we've got a major episode, or episodes, depending on how we cut it up, of Jeppa's juniors just prior to round one. Jeppa and I will record that approximately four or five days prior to round one, and Jeppa will provide his rankings of his rookies can you elaborate a little bit further there, Jeb, and um, what our listeners can expect uh, during those podcasts? So, yeah, we'll go through every um, every line or position and, and how it's looking in terms of looks. I'll rank them 1 to 10, except for the rucks, obviously, um, and we'll give you 10 options to talk about them at length and, and what um, their role is, likely scoring and job security. So we'll cover all bases. It'll be very informative and, and pretty important prior to one. So round one. On to late news today that the AFL concussion protocol has changed for this season. From what I can gather, players will need to be cleared to play earlier in the week than what it was last season. For example, a concussed player from a Saturday needs to be cleared by Tuesday for the next Saturday game. Previously, it was later in the week. There is no doubt this is a game changer for fantasy coaches. Missed games due to concussions will almost certainly rise now, Jep. Yeah, definitely. This is this is very interesting, isn't it? Um, picking players with concussion history is probably not going to be uh, ideal, but um, yeah, something we're going to have to monitor. I guess another way to put it, if a player gets concussed on a Saturday and they have a Friday night game, it's likely they're going to be, have to be cleared by Monday. Previously, what we did see in 2019 is that they cleared the first test and uh, most clubs released a statement to say they'll be tested later in the week prior to game time. Well, I think that's no longer going to be the case this year. It's an early call, you're playing or not, and as I said before, these concussion outs are going to spike this year. Yeah, look, I, I think what we, what I would consider is looking at players that have a little bit of a concussion industry and then really second-guessing, especially the premium players. I, know, I remember Zach Merritt, might have been a couple of years ago now, was wiped out with a concussion a couple of years ago. Um, considering all factors of, of players with previous concussion history, I'd just... I wouldn't start them round one as primos. For me, it's hard to identify who these players are. Uh, I know you mentioned Zach Merritt there, but it's more of a hit in a game that you know we can't forecast sitting here right now. So from a fantasy perspective, it's just that you've got to realise when a player goes down with concussion, they're now more likely to miss the next week. So that in saying that, in saying that, it's a double whammy. 
Yeah. So we, we, we could miss them for half a game or, or worse. And the following week, it's very unlikely they're going to play. So there's four straights. Yeah, for me now, instead of a player being questionable early in the week after concussion, they're actually immediately doubtful. Um, okay. And probably worse off now. One piece of news also to keep a lookout for is the change of date for the St Kilda Port Adelaide game that is almost certainly to be relocated from Shanghai. The MCG and Marvel Stadium are in use that Sunday, therefore a new date is required. Currently what has been discussed and reported about is either a Monday game, a Thursday game for around 11, and a Thursday game for around 12. If it's a Thursday game round 12, St Kilda and Port Adelaide will have a standalone round 11 bye. So this throws us back to the Gold Coast and Port Adelaide bye scenario where we would target them after they would come back from China. So if that game is moved due to TV obligations, that is something that we're going to come across this year, Jet. Yeah, and something we would hopefully know before round one lockout because mm-hmm. obviously... It, it affects how we how we start our teams. Uh, yeah, lots to go under the bridge. Not much control we have yet, but um, hopefully there'll be a decision soon. And no doubt the, the media will announce it as soon as they find out about it. If I was a betting man, which I am, I would suggest that we would know before round one, which would be great. If it's not, that throws a little bit of a spanner in a work. I mean, probably just keep it in the back of the mind when we're setting up our round one teams. On to player news and notes, Riley O'Brien. Crows assistant coach Ben Hart said last night that they were still sorting out their forward mix. This may include starting Himmelberg or Frampton. Only slight concerns here, but it's now on the radar. Potential dual ruck setup, or at least impacting O'Brien's playing time in the ruck, Jep. Yeah, um, again, talk, not not action. We, um, we want to know how they're going to line up. Obviously, there's going to be so for us, as or those wanting to go the Riley O'Brien route, you want to have a like like Himmelberg, who you can just pinch hit and give give O'Brien a chop out. Yeah. Um, but having Frampton Frampton. there, yep. that's that's going to take oh, his his midfield time away. So um, Himmel, Himmelberg tick, Frampton big cross for me. Yeah, that's the scary part. If Frampton is any part of that round one team, uh, O'Brien could be impacted a little bit there. On to Shane McAdam, Ben Hart said last night on McAdam. He's been really strong for us in this preseason, getting to the fitness level required. Sounds like he wasn't that fit last year. He had some injury concerns there at McAdam last year, but he's on track for a season debut this year. It just depends when, Jep. Yeah, I mean, look, bottom cash cow, who we'd love to to see line up early. Um, We'll, just, we'll gauge it from the Marsh series and, and hopefully he plays well and puts his hand up. On to Tyson Stengel. Ben Hart said last night he's putting his hand up well and truly for round one. Uh, Stengel looks like he's going to play. Um, he's a little bit pricey there, but if we're looking at a small forward option and McAdams in that mix, Stengel looks to have the inside running. On to Brody Smith. He'll move into a midfield role this season. Ben Hart said... It's no secret we've been trying to add a little bit more speed, and that's out of stoppages. So it's likely that Gibbs is going to go to a halfback role, and Smith is going to be pushed up into a midfield role, and that's pretty much playing between the arcs during general play, Jet. Yeah, look, and I think Smith's flying very low under the radar here. 
um, $646,000 possesses a value. Um, his average last year was 87. Do we think uh, time and movement to the midfield is going to push him to 95, 100? I, I think, I think it might. So it's a bit of value to be to be looked at there. Um, and it's much he's much in the similar boat as Dan Houston, isn't he? Uh, my interest at the moment is quite low, but I want to see this in action. If his numbers start to spike in the preseason games, that will actually change my decision and put him on my watch list. Onto the problem I've had, sorry, the problem I've, the problem I've had with Brody Smith in the past, when I've looked at him, is his tackle numbers. Mm-hmm. So if he can boost those in the during his midfield time, I, I think there's a jump there. I really do. On to Ned McHenry. He picked up an abdominal injury recently. He's going to be used in the forward half, according to assistant coach Ben Hart. On to Riley Knight. He has been sidelined from pre-season training with an Achilles injury. With his absence, there are spots open in the Crows. On to Carlton. Late news today, Matthew Cruiser recently underwent a heart procedure. His status is unknown, but maybe just short-term unavailability. Connor McKenna for the Bombers. He's returned home to Ireland. It opens up an opportunity in the Essendon team if he doesn't return. Andrew McGrath. He said last week that he's training with the midfield group and that he has been doing so for the last couple of years. Jeppo, he was an elite ball-winning midfielder in the under-18 championships and I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. Any thoughts there? Yeah, I agree with your comment. It's um, it's probably an aspect of John Worsfold that's a bit frustrating. Um, mm. But knowing what he wants to get out of McGrath, given his foot speed, he's trying to create a run from half back, and that's the go, isn't it, with McKenna, Saad, and McGrath. Um, hopefully, um, Big Rutten has a different view on that and, and can provide a different role for Andrew because... Yeah, he's he's of value in the midfield for sure. To me, I think they've avoided it today. And outside looking in, there's no facts behind this. This is just my opinion. Is they've got <clears throat> quite small midfielders in there already, yep. um, and they they're probably looking for a bit of muscle around around the pack. So they, their preference is say Zach Merritt around the ball predominantly versus having Zach Merritt and McGrath and um, Zaharakis and even Heffel's not really that big. He's decent, but he's not a huge physical uh, midfielder. Over to Mitch Hibbert, he recently had a knee injury. He's back running and will increase his training loads in the next couple of weeks. He's likely to miss the early part of the season, but he's one there for a downgrade option. Joel Hamling for the Dockers. He had surgery on Monday night. It was an ankle injury. That's another spot that opens up at the Dockers, Jep. Yeah, it's really Logue's to lose, isn't it? Um, three hundred seventy-five grand for Logue. It's not not a lot of value there. I guess the one there that's sort of fitting in that we can see is obviously Hayden Young. Oh, look, I think Hayden Young's a lock for a halfback flank. It's um, he should be in everyone's fantasy team, um, no doubt about it. Especially after the comments of the intra club. Just on Young there. My thinking there with his foot skills that he can use across halfback, but he's a potential to take kick-ins as well, so which obviously start to spike his scoring. Oh, he's hoping. That'd be great. 
over to Sean Darcy. Injured his shoulder in a recent entry club match. He has since returned to training with no shoulder strapping. On to Stephen Hill. He recently said, I haven't had any interruptions this preseason and it's been good to get through it. He's played 51% off games since the beginning of the 2017 home and away season. Any chance there, Jep? Yeah, he's a big chance for me. As long as he gets through the first half of the year, um, there's a guy who can average, and I think in previous season he has averaged about 90, mm-hmm. um, but that's 2015-2016. Recent years, 2017-18, he's in, he's in the 70s, so... Price at four hundred and twenty odd thousand from memory. It's um, there's a lot of value there, and um, you know, Freo love to use his foot skills. He's a clean use of the ball, a long kick. I'm I'm seeing some value, and he's one of the mid prices I'm targeting. I agree. There's certainly value there. Over to Caleb Sarong. He's set for a midfield forward role. His position over the Marsh series will be one to watch, Jep. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, definitely going to rotate through the midfield at Frio. Um, it's just the balance of his on-field role and, and how much midfield time he gets, I suppose. Um, he's currently sixth on my list for midfielders for Rooks, so mm-hmm. hopefully he gets pushed up. He's on the higher price side, been the early draft pick, but um, look, job security looks to be pretty solid given Frio, where Frio are in their, in, with their list. Onto the Cats, Mitch Duncan is continuing in the rehab group. He's had multiple injuries over the last few months. Just on the Cats there, Jeb. I'm finding information difficult to get out of Geelong over the preseason. <laughs> they're pretty much a closed book. They're difficult enough to get information out of at pretty much during the year. But this preseason has been quite difficult and they are pretty much a closed book, which is quite frustrating from our point of view. They're not obliged to tell us anything. But it's just getting information. Cocker 2 came out several weeks post his injury. Jack Stephen came out several weeks post his injury. Again, the Cats aren't obliged to tell us anything, but the information out of Geelong is coming out quite slowly. Yeah, look, nothing changes out of Geelong. They um, they keep their cards close to their chest, and it's frustrating for us, but and probably their members as well, to know how they're actually faring the pre-season. Mm. I think Geelong's biggest concern that they have to address before any games are played is their foot speed through the midfield um, they they picked up Jack Stephen obviously um, and it depends you know the likes of Narkel and who else is going to run through that midfield to give them some dash so look I there's a lot of questions I have of Geelong and we're not going to know till we see the Marsh series it's as simple as that we're going to have to make our own calls there Pete on to Nikai Cockatoo Obviously, you recently had hamstring issues. It was more along the lines of hamstring tightness. But we won't be seeing him in the early part of the season, Jet, for me. Yeah, so with Cockatoo, he's an impact player, and I don't see him as an accumulator, so he's not been high on my radar, even at uh, 250-odd thousand. Okay. Over to Gold Coast, Anthony Miles, he tore his peak muscle. He's sidelined for a significant period of time, which further enhances the opportunities in the midfield for the Suns, Jep? Yeah, look, we need to um, we need to monitor that. Um, we've obviously got the youngsters through the, the rooks at, at the Suns that we want um, plenty of job security for. So as much as it's a misfortune for Miles, it's a fortune for us and our rooks for um, round one. 
Onto the Giants, Callum Ward, he'll miss the start of the season. He's returning from an ACL injury. Um, that impacts the core midfield group of the Giants jet. Yeah, definitely. And concerns around Taranto pretty much are eliminated for the early parts of the round. Mm. Um, I still suggest that he will have an impact in terms of time through the through the guts um, when he does come back in, but it's sort of changes the, the, the stakes a bit in our starting lineups and holding value. That's a very good call on Taranto. He was a scoring machine last year, and without Ward, that scoring may continue in 2020. Yep, and from last check, he was about 4% owned, so there's plenty off him. Uh, exactly. Maybe people think he's fully priced, but he's definitely got a ceiling. Oh, yeah, for sure. On to Melbourne, Braden Pruce. He suffered a knee injury, which will sideline him for 8 to 10 weeks. The demons are thin at Ruck. Jep? Yeah, and there's talk about Luke Jackson actually playing in the early parts of the season. So I can't see that happening he's personally, but um, yeah, it's an interesting one. He's pretty raw, Jackson, from what I've seen. that He's still quite skinny, and I wouldn't. he would get crushed in the ruck by pretty much everyone. Oh, yeah, agreed. It's much like um, Tim English a couple of years ago. So it's, yeah, it's an odd one. It's, it probably forces Max to, to maybe play at even 80%. Um, and then with that, to, we wouldn't think Max maintains his average. So um, that needs to be considered also, hey? Definitely. Cade Collar-Josney, been suffering from ongoing concussion issues. Uh, there are fears for his career, but obviously that's one to take into consideration. Hopefully he makes a return, Jep. Yeah. Um, it's a shame for Cade because he's got so much potential. Absolutely. Over to the Kangaroos. Jack Siebel has been in the rehab group with a calf injury. He won't play in the opening Marsh series game, but he should be right for round one, Jep. Yeah, I think they'll just manage Siebel um, and, and make sure he's cheer up as he can be for round one. He's a leader of that football club and they'll want to do everything they can to, to make sure he's as, at his absolute best possible. Now the one to look out for for the forward structure of the Kangaroos is Ben Brown. He's also been dealing with a calf injury. Over to Port Adelaide, Mitch Georgie Artis. <laughs> I don't even know how you pronounce it. No, nah, if you listen... I have to stop it. Have you listened to the um, Warning Cows and Roy's podcast no. Monday night? No, 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 no. Oh, man. You've got to listen to this. I'm I'm going to pause on Mitch Georgiatis. For those who listen, obviously listen to the Traders podcast, they're going to get the joke. Uh, I won't say the joke to you now, but when when you listen to it, it's absolutely hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> it sounds so, like Cal at his best. Yes. Oh, it's probably, that's number one. When I heard it for the first time, I just nearly fell over. Anyway, over to Port Adelaide. Mitch Georgie Artis looks set to debut early in the season. It's just a matter of scoring output, Jeb. Port Adelaide played Gold Coast at round one at Metricon Stadium. It could be a juicy uh, proposition for Georgie Artis at round one. Oh, for sure. And, you know, it's it's one where we, we really need to look at spending the extra to, 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 um, to gain in on on um, some earnings. So I read <clears throat> reports that he's been looking at a half forward, that he'll be the half forward type early in his career that pushes up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know from his WA junior days and 
around here, his, his strength is his hands. Um, he's got very clean hands, a very good grab, mm-hmm. um, and a powerful young beast. So, like we've said previously, Port uh, got to play the kids. That's their that's their go-to. They they played the kids last year, one or two more um, with Bergman um, and Georgiatis. It's um, it's looking good for us fantasy coaches and. I just I want him to perform in this March series so we can lock him down for, for round one. He's a fair talent for me, that's for sure. On to Jackson Mead. The hamstring injury was nowhere near bad as first reported. He will play some part in Marsh Community Series, according to power coach Ken Hingley. Dan Hanobry. Saints coach Brett Ratton said last week hopefully he'll be right for round one. He's getting some minutes there. Jep, any interest still? No, look, no, not for me at this stage, mate. It's too risky. There is value there, but obviously longevity is an issue with Hanabry recently in his career. On to Max King. Brett Ratton said he's pretty likely to play round one. But what caught my attention, Jepper, was that he may play the first five games and then be given a rest. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, that that is odd. Um, he's a slow burn cash cow for me against the bigger bodies of the AFL and the and the bigger defenders. So history suggests the young key forwards, they, um, they're not big scorers. They'll, they'll have their moments, no doubt. Um, so, yeah, nursing King, oh God, if he's, if he's playing, if he's on fire, they're not going to disrupt his form by giving him a rest. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably post, you know, when he tops out in price, we, we might have that issue. So um, yep. I, don't, I wouldn't read too much into that, mate. On to Jack Bytel, Brett Ratton said last week. He's an inside mid. He's going to give himself a chance to play this year. Shepard, it may be a while for a debut for Bytel, but he's an elite ball-winning player. Yeah, and an, an elite uh, fantasy book, hopefully, by the sounds of it. So with Bytel, he, he slipped in the draft a year or well, two years ago now, Um with injury, mm-hmm. um, he probably, if he had a good run at, at junior footy, he would have gone, you know, top 15. So there's, he's definitely got the talent. Um, and, yes, like you said, he's an accumulator. Look, I would love for him to be cherry ripe for round one, but I think he's a downgrade option later in the year. Let's just hope it's not, and let's be selfish about this from our point of view, not Jack's point of view. It's, it's not rounds two or three. It's around seven or eight. Mm. Um, so we can bring him in and, and make use of him but obviously for Jack's point of view he wants to, he's obviously having a real go um, and he's going to be pushing for the one of one of the spots in the 22 at Saints Perfectly said. Over to Ben Long he's trained in a halfback role he's still probably in a development stage in that position Jeb but it points to a positional move that will impact others your thoughts there? Yeah, moving to halfbacks definitely going to boost his scoring. Um, beautiful kick, doesn't get a lot of it though. Does not get a lot of it. So maybe they're forcing that their hand by pushing him into the halfback, where you will see more um, uncontested possessions, mm-hmm. and um, and then they can utilise his great foot skills yep. um, through through pushing through the midfield and up forward. So yeah. Well done by Rats and, and his coaching staff for identifying that. I think it's a good move. But, yeah, like you said, it's probably got some learnings there before um, it comes off um, in the seniors. The one thing that I find is being quite consistent over the preseason from positional moves from coaches is that they're starting to put 
plays with good foot use into a half-back defensive role to lessen the turnovers coming out of the back line. Yeah, Caleb Daniel is one, the first one that comes off the top of my head. Last year, yeah. Um, last year, and and yeah, they just, the way the game's played at the moment, it's like um, it gets swung from one side of the ground to the other very, very quickly, and they need to rely on great foot skills to um, to penetrate zone defences as well. So, yeah, it's it's a trend that will continue until, um, well, I don't think zone defences are going to be out anytime soon. So, mm. um Having a basketball background myself, it's um, it's obviously on a lot smaller scale on a basketball court, but um, obviously one of the ways to beat a zone in basketball is quick and constant passing. Yep. Um, not a lot of dribbling, um, but lots of passing. There are times where players get caught out posi- in their position in their zone, and that w- that's when the run and carry occurs in in footy, and that's when you dribble to the hard to the to the ring in basketball. So. It's quite funny how, growing up as a as a keen basketball fella, um, how I see it. And I coached a lot of basketball a few years ago. Um, and yeah, some of those principles are the exact same, just on a sure. vastly vastly bigger scale. And I, you know, I, I know Trevor Gleeson was um, at this one of the assistant coaches at Hawthorne. Oh, it must have been about seven eight years ago now. So. There's definitely been a basketball influence into into footy, not just via Ruckman and and um, former former basketballers turning to footy like Hugh Greenwood. I guess for me, the way that I take out of that is there's no more dumb kicks out of the back line to packs. Players want to work their way through a zone, as you've said. For me, we need to identify the players that are being hit up for the zone ki- for the inside the zone kick by these guys to see if there's an opportunity for a price spike as well. So that's something to keep an eye over the preseason. But and that's where Bryce Gibbs, sorry to jump yep. in, mate, but that's where Bryce Gibbs, obviously, they see value in him. Yep. Um, we could go through every club and name one or two players um, that that are elite in foot use from the halfback line, no yep. doubt. So um, I'm, I'm very interested in Bryce Gibbs, but when he gains defender status only. Yep. So hopefully that's round six and... We can see what we can jag there. Absolutely. Over to Sydney, Isaac Kenny. He's likely to continue his mid-forward role. John Longmire said last week, we'd like him going forward. It will be a combination of both. It's likely that Haney will be a split role, Jep. Yeah, which is good for youngsters like Dylan Stevens and Justin McInerney, um, who are trying to come through and, and grab grab some midfield time as well. So... I look at those comments and I relate them to Dylan Stevens, who's a high-quality midfield youngster, um, who's been, who should get a, a wing spot this season come round one. So, yeah, ticking boxes for us as fantasy coaches. John Longmire said James Rowbottom, Ollie Florent, Dylan Stevens to play through the midfield in 2020. Justin McInerney is also progressing well. So you're spot on with your comments there, Jip. Over to West Coast, Jack Darling. Fractured his cheekbone last week, but he should be right for round one. Oscar Allen. Injured his ankle at training this morning. It didn't appear to be too much of an issue, according to Elliot Yo. Over to the Bulldogs. Lin Jong. Significant hamstring injury. He's out for the long term. That narrows the field in the Bulldogs midfield, Jep. Yeah. So, again, looking at that, helps Bailey Smith and... Um 
Scott West's son, Riley West, thinks. Um, yeah, so it helps their cause for a more senior footy. Caleb Daniel and Jason Johannesson are set to roam across halfback in 2020 again, with Sackling moving slightly up the ground. It's probably good news for those looking at Caleb Daniel that he will continue his role. We know he was part of the kicking structure at the Bulldogs last year, Jet. Yeah, so um, like we mentioned, his, his elite, elite foot skills are going to be of use at, at the Bulldogs, and um, yeah, I don't think we'll see much change there from this season in 2020. One rookie that might be part of your Jeppers juniors prior to round one in the forward line could be Cody Waitman. He will push for selection early, according to Matt Suckling recently. Your thoughts there on Waitman, Jepp? Yeah, quality kid. Um, he'll be used in the forward half of the year. Um, I would be worried about his job security, um, mm-hmm. personally, given the, the abundance of talent they have um, in their smaller smaller players. So, yeah, one to watch for sure. I just, early question mark for me is job security. Yeah, and probably scoring volatility. He'll play that formerly uh, Luke Dalhouse forward pressure role. Jepper and I are now going to talk about buzz plays from each team. We'll throw up a couple of names each uh, for discussion, and hopefully that covers off any questions that you might have for Jepper and I. We'll start with the Crows, Jep. Chase Jones, he's a 318k forward. He looks like he'll get an early opportunity. He's currently 6% owned, and that is only going to increase. Your thoughts there? Yeah, one I've got penciled in. Um, he's on my watch list for the Marsh Series. Can't ignore him. It's... It's a question of how much he increases his average last year by, um, and hopefully it's a big jump and a breakout year. Bryce Gibbs, we've already mentioned him earlier in the podcast, is going to a halfback role. DPP looms hopefully at round six. He's only 4% owned. Any chance at round one, Jep? No, not for round one, but maybe like maybe around four or five just prior to to a DPP change, if, if that occurs. Um Look, I, I'd take their word as gospel. They're going to use Gibbs at the half-back line. Mm-hmm. Um, so between Gibbs and Brody Smith, they're swapping roles. So, yeah, let's see what Gibbs can do back there in terms of his his fantasy scores and engage it from that, but not for our one for me. Over to Brisbane, Devin Robertson, 228k mid. For me, he's going to be up against it to debut early. Uh, he's 9% on Jep. Yeah, no, no, no to Devin Robinson. I... Um, Tweeted out when he got drafted by Brisbane. It was a shame um, for us fantasy coaches that he that he is at Brisbane, given the talent they have already in their midfield. So um, it's a no for me at this stage. But hopefully, he gets some senior footy chances later in the year. One player that might offer some value: Grant Birchall, 428k defender. Jip. He hasn't missed a beat this preseason. If he's healthy, he'll play at round one. He's three percent owned. If he's healthy and fit and firing. Um, it's it's another one that um, we need to consider because he's not going to average less than 70, 75. So there's a little bit of value there. Over to Carlton. Sam Doherty, 563k defender. He's had a solid pre-season, Jet. Even at 51% owned, that seems quite low. Oh, yeah, let's, let's just lock him in and, and pray for the best for him because the poor bloke's had a wretched run. So... Yeah, no, he's, he's in my team. He ain't going anywhere. Sam Petrescu-Seaton is a 577k defender mid. Teague has been strong on this move. Back to half-back. 
He's quite pricey. He's 2% owned. Yep, so if he's going to move to the half-back line, that's fine. It's just who comes out of there. Is it Cade Simpson or Nick Newman? Um, Seaton for me, and yeah, quality ball user, but let's think about this. They would want Doherty with the ball in his hands more than Patricia Seaton, I would think. Um, so I don't think Seaton, uh, Patricia Seaton's a, a viable option for fantasy. Again, it's just one of those half-back players you put there with good foot skills and we'll see over the Marsh series uh, what sort of output he can have if he indeed plays that halfback role. Over to Collingwood, Tyler Brown. He's a 170k mid-jep. A definite watch over the preseason for me. I think he'll play early. He's 2% owned. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I, I haven't spoken about him too much other than to you, um, not during our podcast, and definitely, definitely going to play senior footy this year. Um, look up his VFL stats. They're pretty pretty tidy uh, and there's a lot of buzz around him for, for the what he's the player he'll become so he is currently on my midfield bench mm-hmm. and um, hopefully he can progress and get on starting starting on the field um, after the Marsh series and after he dominates so yeah lots of lots of happen still but yeah very very quality young football Scott Pendlebury 769k mid if Adams, Trelaw, Wills and Sawyer are at CBAs this year, that means Pendles will likely start elsewhere in 2020. He's 2% owned, Yeah, we, we sort of talked about this. This was talked about, sorry, last year, mm-hmm. if you recall, and it, it never sort of eventuated. So, yeah, I, look, I, I think there's obviously, wherever Pendles plays, he's going he's gonna to... To the Collingwood faithful proud. So, for us, let's be selfish. Let's say, all right, Bucks put him on a halfback flank so we can pick him as a defender in fantasy, really. Um, so, yeah, that's one to watch like Bryce Gibbs. For me, that's exactly where I play him off halfback. For fantasy coaches, that'd be perfect because it'd be an easy pickup if he obtains DPP status. But once again, we have to go through the preseason games and have an early look at the season for Pendlebury. Uh, to see if that is some chance whatsoever. But once again, if we have Adams, Trelaw, Wills and CU at CBAs, I don't think Pendles will be in their ranking high this year. So that's a potential to be um, positioned somewhere else. Over to Essendon, Devin Smith. It's a 720k mid forward. He's had a very, very strong pre-season chip. A bounce back year looms at 17% owned. This is one player that I don't have in my team that I wish I do. Well, he's in my team, mate, so get jealous because the guy is, as I understand it, one of the most competitive people you ever meet in your life. So mm. he goes out there, gets white line fever and um, has intent on the football. His tackle numbers obviously yeah, reciprocated from that. Yep. And let's uh, we've said it before in our previous podcast about helping out Zach Merritt physically and the next player we'll talk about does this also mm. around, around the midfield. So... I am expecting big things in Devin Smith, and that is why he is my F2. Uh, We'll talk about this a little bit, and I I mentioned this in the solo pod, episode 15. For me, it's pretty much coming down to Devin Smith and and Lockie Whitfield. You already know that I'm fading Sam Jacobs to start the season. For me, it could be a dual opposing high ownership being Whitfield, hopefully forecasting a salary slide, and it will be to move on to Devin Smith. Your thoughts there? Oh, mate, 
after last year, and <laughs> we laugh about it, I got burnt not starting Whitfield last year, and it really hurt. So um, your strategy needs to consider all options and and my heartache from 2019. It's just whether, you know, Whitfield's got a humongous ceiling. If he starts to hit that early and, and I don't have him, that's... As I said last, yeah. as I said in the previous pod, that I need to hit eject pretty quickly and get him in. Which, you know, if that forces some pretty heavy decisions, especially if you're cutting off some premium players elsewhere. Yeah, that's fair. But, and I would be fine with that. Not starting with it if he was having a preseason, you know, an interrupted preseason, which he's not, as we know it. So, he's he's flying um, during the summer, which tells me he's going to start the year with the bang. So. Yeah. Um, other than, you know, the likes of Gorn, who's had some interruptions, and um, you know, Zach Merritt is another one. It's it's if there's red flags, we, we sort of stick away. But um, yeah, Whitfield's ticking a lot of boxes early, even before round one. On Smith, for me, it's sounding like pretty much a hundred and ten average season right now. Yeah, agreed, agreed, and I do not want to miss out on him. I think. Um, I was hoping um, he'd start the year a bit cheaper. He only averaged 80 last year, so but he's he's been jacked up a bit because of his potential. And yeah, I'm I'm with you, mate. I think it's it's definitely 100 100 points plus. The scary thing there, if I don't start Smith, is that Essendon played the Dockers in round one, so he can bust up in a 120 130 point game straight off the bat. Yep, totally agree, mate. So. Look, I, like I said, I've got Whitfield and Devin Smith currently, as mm-hmm. it stands. Um, it's it's a set-and-forget sort of strategy there. Over to Jacob Townsend. He's a 266k forward. He'll likely get an opportunity early, Jep. He's 23% owned, and that is climbing by the day. Yeah, it's, he's ownership in the... Oh, sorry, his average in the VFL last year was in the 90s, so we can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. We can't ignore the fact of what where he's going to be used in the Essendon um, midfield. He's he's there to provide a physical presence to, and and help um, free up Zach Merritt um, and take the pressure off him. So there's definite role there. Will it correlate into big scores? Probably not. There'll be some inconsistent scores, but with the likely availability of of uh, Ford Rooks, he's um, he's one we can't miss out on. Over to Fremantle. One of the hot topics of the preseason, Andrew Brayshaw. He's a 516k mid forward. He's priced at 70 points, and he's 24% owned. He scored fewer than 80 points in 81.8% of games last season. Jet, your thoughts on Brayshaw, and then I'll provide mine. Yeah, look, I I'm struggling with to pick him, mate. I I think that price is just a little bit out of reach. I don't think. We spoke about learnings in positions um, previously, but so Brayshaw's got to learn how to how to um, second and third efforts constantly through the midfield with his young body. Can he do that? No doubting he's he's such a courageous young footballer. No doubting his courage. It's just his ability and tank to go in two, three times um, and play a, a constant midfield role. I think we're going to see. Um, some seesawing scores from Brayshaw. Sure, one one round he might, you know, score in, in the nineties or or three digits, and, and other rounds he's going to hit a sixty. So, um, though having 
inconsistent scorers as mid price is not ideal for the cash generation. And um, for that reason, I'm I'm staying away. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Is at 516k at 70 points, you're pretty much going to have to be at a, a 95 average early to pay off because yeah. at round seven or eight, if he's going at about 85 or whatever, you can still target him if you don't start him at round one. So yeah, agreed. He's going to have to, you know, 95, 100. And when I've just said that 81.8% of his games were fewer than 80 points last year, I mean. That just and he's twenty four percent owned, Jeff. I just like I just cannot see why. It's, well, I it's the hype around the midfield, yeah. isn't it? So, but I think fantasy and this is a frustrating part for me, knowing that ownership percentage. I think it people forget what it takes to actually score to actually ton up in fantasy. Mm. Like I remember, Tavetta used to say, twenty possessions, five marks, five tackles would pretty much guarantee you. Uh, a um a hunch um of fantasy points. So is is Brayshaw gonna average that? He's probably gonna tick the box in, in the um in the tackle numbers for sure. Marks, I can't see um getting too many plus sixes around the ground, personally, maybe. I could be wrong there. And then the tw- the twenty plus possessions a game, it's um it's hit and miss for me. I I, re- I really believe that. So I think it's another learning year for Brayshaw and, and his breakouts looming after some study under Longmire, sorry, not Longmuir, sorry, um, this year and how Longmuir wants to play, which I assume is possession footy, similar to Collingwood, where he was assistant coach last year. Well, that's it. There's a new regime at, at Fremantle, Longmuir. I'm open-minded still on Brayshaw, but I just look at that 24% ownership and just go, no, thank you. No, uh, yeah, it's it's off-putting for me given what, the likelihood of his scores and how he's going to generate cash. Because let's face it, we're picking you. Your one a coach is picking Brayshaw for his scoring ability mm-hmm. and and cash generation. Also, he's definitely not a top six forward. We we both know that. Yep. Um, so it's for the cash generation and and healthy scores and. Like I said, it's it's going to be some yo-yo scores this year, and and that's going to stagger his his cash generation. And for that reason, I'm staying away. We'll take a look over the Marsh series. If there's anything there, we'll probably reheat on the Andrew Brayshaw decision. Over to Hayden Young, he's a 258k defender. Appears to be around one starter. Jeb, that 40 yep. that 42% ownership will only climb. Yeah, absolutely. I love him. I think he's fantastic, and um. Watching some of the highlights from the intra club was um, was promising, and and the word out of Fremantle is he's yeah he's a lot for round one. Over to Geelong, Jack Stephen, six fifty three k mid forward. Unfortunately, he's still in the rehab group at the Cats, which is concerning. He's ten percent owned. This is a player that I was high on. I still think his midfield usage will be high this year at the Cats, but if he's still in the rehab group. We're talking six weeks almost post injury, so that's a little bit of a concern for me, and that's a that's a massive red flag. Yeah, um, which is a shame because he he presents value. I, I agree with you in his in his role at Geelong. I think he's been brought in for for the midfield and adding foot speed to their slow midfield. Um, it's just whether he can get up for round one really, um, which is unlikely, which is a shame. Uh, I think there's some chance to get up for round one. 
and plays some part in the pre-season games. But it's just, once again, it's back to what I said previously about information coming out of Geelong. And when there's lack of information, it's hard to pinpoint exactly uh, what is happening. Therefore, our decision-making is a little bit clouded in this area. Over to Joel Selwood. He's a 585k mid. He looks set to play in the Marsh series. He's also a 10% ownership. Yeah, look, and if if he moves into the midfield, we really need to consider him, but um, we won't know that till the March series, so it's a wait and see. Obviously, I uh, portrayed my thoughts quite a few podcasts uh, previous to this, and that was the, the end of the 2018 season. Chris Scott and the Geelong Football Club decided that they wanted to take a different path during the season, and one of those areas was to have a healthy playing list come into finals. We've seen last year that Selwood played a lot on the outside, or at least started a lot on the outside, and that did impact his scores. I'm strong on this. I'm happy to take the L, but I will take Selwood on at round one for sure, and I will not be starting him if he plays. Yeah, agreed, mate. On to Gold Coast. Matthew Rowe, 270k mid. He's a likely round one starter. He's 57% owned. Jeb, I have him, do you? Yep, simple. Fuck him in. Nothing much more to say, really, other than I forget who it was that was tweeting one of the AFL reporters that was watching the game, saying he had the cleanest hands in wet weather footy out of the you know the 44 plus players that were playing in the game. So um, it's enough for me. He was he was already reassured prior to, prior to that uh, scratch match. I guess in the entry club games and the practice match, it's as I mentioned in a previous podcast, the solo podcast was that I'm pretty much ticking off a checklist and Rail has the opportunity. We discussed in our early Plus 6 podcast, Chip, the opportunities that Sam Walsh had last year. Therefore, he became pretty much a non-negotiable. It seems as though that Matthew Rail will have the opportunity in the mid- midfield this year and that pretty much, once again, makes him a non-negotiable at round one. Yeah, agreed, bud. It's very looking very like that and... Um We'll obviously monitor it through the remainder of pre-season, but um, he needs to be in most teams. Number two draft pick, Noah Anderson. He's a 268k mid. He's also a likely starter round one. He's 23% owned. I remember when we discussed Noah Anderson in our draft podcast um, last year, late last year, and talking about the vision that i seen in the under-18s championships was that Rail and Anderson both used each other moving the ball. So for me, it's a potential that, you know, if you take one and tag the other with him, that the scoring could be high. Your thoughts on that? No, I don't think Noah Anderson's going to be a huge scorer this year. I, I think he's, going, as an outside midfielder, he's going to rely on the supply from his hardworking inside mids. And let's be honest, they're still raw. Most of them, um, and it's gonna—he's gonna have the moment. Noah Anderson's gonna have his moments um, and challenging games. So, although they, those Raul and Anderson have a great connection, I think yeah, that's great and fair enough at under eighteen level. But different ball game at AFL level, for sure they'll hit each other up at times. But um, I just think um, Anderson's scoring ability at Gold Coast is, is not as great as as probably first thought. Over to the Giants. 
Sam Jacobs, 514k ruck. He hasn't missed a pre-season training session yet, Jep. He's 20% owned, and that will climb. So, uh, with Jacobs, mate, how old do you reckon he is? Uh, he's, 30, he's early 30s for me, or 31, 32. Yeah, he's, he's, he'll be 32 by the time the season starts. So, and we're just after. So, I didn't realise that. Now, we shouldn't be biased with age, but gee whiz, if injured, you know, the body, as I know, at 36 years old, I... I struggle with my body. I, I hate to think as a ruckman he's getting battered and how he's feeling. So great tick in the box that he's, he's covered his pre-season and he's fit and firing. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I've got him, obviously. He's, a, he's my R2. I, I've been high on him for most of the pre-season. Um, but, yeah, just his age surprised me. I still thought he was, you know, late 20s. Um, but, like I said, it shouldn't deter too much because... We're only really gaining. We only really need him to play the first half of the season, and mm-hmm. and um, selfishly again, just for um, his scores and he's hoping he can get back to his 90s average. And, um, and yeah, we can like coaches like myself who are going to pick him, cash in on him. Before last year, he was very durable. Um, unfortunately, the contact injury to his knee wiped out pretty much his season last year and that's where Riley O'Brien stepped in for me once again he's quite durable but I am not starting him I'm taking a stand on Jacobs Uh, there is definite value there I'm not opposing that point of view but for me I just want to take a stand here yeah look fair enough Um, it's just who the other R2 is so do you spend big and and go gone do you look at Jared Witts for example um, you know, Marshall, it looks like he's cut out with sharing his time with Ryder. Um, Riley O'Brien, again, is at Himmelberg or Frampton, like we discussed earlier. Goldstein, again, another who's on the, uh, is quite on the older side of as a footballer. Um, it's who who else? It's, it's a question of who else at R2. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the R2 spots are, if, it's been a tough one to pick. Um, and yeah especially from a rookie's point of view as well I don't mind it there is value there for me um, but for me again I just, just want to take a fade on Jacobs and see what happens over to Stephen Cornelio he's a 769k mid ownership is quite high at 27% chip. he offers quite a bit of value at round 1 Captain Courageous um, and he scored 160 odd round 1 last year Yep. look I um you can't ignore him. He's a definite option, especially again the Callum Ward. The Callum Ward factor not not going to influence his scores early. Hopefully, um, we know what role he's going to play. We know what he's going to produce. Um, and again, a good WA fella who's very competitive, who wants to let, he will lead his team of the utmost um, and not die wondering. So, expecting big things from Cornelia this season, and if you pick him. It's great. Um, sleep easy. There's definite value there in Cornelia. 27% owned. It is quite high, but the value you're going to get is uh, worthwhile pretty much selecting him at round one. Over to the Hawks, Tom Mitchell, 671k mid. There were no issues on his ability to find the ball on Friday night that i seen. There's also no residual effect on his broken leg of a year ago. 
He's 52% owned, Jeb. I see no issues here with Mitchell whatsoever. No, neither. I'm ecstatic. And um, other than having a point of difference with him, it doesn't matter. We get the value, we get the scores. Let's just lock him in and get on with it. From what I was watching on Friday night in the Hawks Intra Club, I was not really counting his disposals, but I was just trying to project from what I had seen previously at 2018 scoring level and thinking what he was producing on the Friday night. For me, if he had played, if that was a full four quarter game, that was probably a 120 point game quite easily. Yeah, right. That's uh, good to know. Over to James Sicily, 620k defender. He played across halfback in the intra club. Always there is a risk of a potential move for his entire career, Jep. He's at 8% owned. He's part of that defensive group. Uh, the interesting part there was that Sam Frost was the spare loose at some stages. Ben McAvoy's going back, which will probably free up Sicily at some stages. I see the scoring ability there this year, but it's just that ability for Clarko to change things up. So for me, I try to mitigate risk as much as possible. I won't be starting with Sicily early in the season, but he's definitely a trading target at some stage, and I will want to leave that as late in the season as possible. Yeah, I'm not going to add too much more there, mate. I'm in the same boat as you. I just... I've been burnt by him in the past. It's too hard at the moment. He's never been in my round one calculations, so let's we can gauge him throughout the year. And and when we do, we yet, like you said, we'll have to gauge the the risk of um of a positional change and a slight role change, which happened in 2019, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just pencil him out at this point. Over to Melbourne, Max Gorn, 826k rock. He's resumed running. He's probably going to start at round one. He's 9% owned, as we discussed in a previous podcast, Jeb. His ownership is dropping by the day. It's probably stabilised there at 9%. If that gets any lower, I'm highly interested in starting Gorn over my current R2 ruck. Your thoughts there? Yeah, look, it just depends on how fit he is before round one. I mentioned previously, if he's if Bruce is out... Um, They'll probably have to play him at even in fact 70, 80% or 80%, say. So they wanna, wouldn't obviously risk him early in the season. But um, I don't think he'll hold his value early in the year. And um, on the mantra that we we sort of promote, well, we are promoting to our listeners, it's about holding value early for our primos. Um, it's a very important aspect of this, and I don't think Max Gorn will do that. One of the other Buzz players early in the preseason was Angus Brayshaw. It's a 623k mid. He does offer some value. He injured his elbow there a few weeks ago. He's now out of the brace. And he's 3% owned, Jep. Yeah, look, I don't I don't think anyone should start with him. He's He's got a lot of elbow. Well, that elbow was a significant injury by the look of it. Um, and having an interrupt preseason is a, is a no-no from... Picking a primo to start round one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. On to North Melbourne, Aiden Bonner, 333k mid forward. He will get opportunities in the midfield this year at the Kangaroos. But the question that I have, can he accumulate enough disposals to make him genuine value, Jep? Uh, not consistently. Let's put it that way. So, again, we, I've mentioned the 25 and 5 sort of rule of thumb with 100 fantasy points. <clears throat> We're not... Uh, rookie Bonner, sorry, is basically rookie priced uh, 
quite a bit higher, but um, there's the the role there is on field. He's just he's another impact player like Cocker too. Um, I don't see him accumulating a lot of it. I could be wrong, and I'm happy to eat my words, but it's a no for me at this point. At 12% ownership right now, I'm happy to fade him at round one. Over to Taron Thomas, he's a 410k forward. He looks quite sharp over pre-season jet. Can he find enough ball playing an outside role? He's 1% owned. Yeah, well, um, I don't think he will find enough ball, and, and at that price, it becomes a bigger nose. So, um, yeah, no, I'm staying away. Over to Port Adelaide, Dan Houston. He's a 596k defender midfielder. If you hadn't heard yet, listeners, he's playing midfield this year. He's, 30, he's 37% owned. I think every day I'll wake up and I'm into my social media feeds and it's Dan Houston this, Dan Houston that. And once again, if you hadn't heard, he's playing midfield this year, Jeff. Yeah, Ken Hinckley, opposite to uh, his days at Geelong, is just letting everyone know exactly what his plans are. So, um, yeah, look, I, you just can't ignore it. Um, having a potential top six defender price under 600 grand is too good to ignore so let's lock him in and again hope, hope for the best yeah for me he's in I'm not, he's not moving anywhere I opened up the team with him and he's still in there right now over to the ruck position at Port Adelaide Scott Lysette is at 619k ruck he does offer some value but there is the possibility that Port Adelaide will start the season with a dual ruck set up which would make it more difficult to own Lysette I think the power have softened on this issue, Jeb. He's 5% owned. Uh, recent comments coming out of the power is that they were hopeful that Laddams could play that role. There's some possibility that, that Lysette could be in the picture for me. Yeah, look, he's not for me. And just knowing him from West Coast days, he's never been one to consistently score again. I, I harp on consistency of scores. Um, at that value, you're looking at scores in the 90s or low 90s, and I just don't think it's forthcoming. So, mm-hmm. one to share his role with Laddams or whoever it may be. Um, and he's obviously a, a power ruckman, a, a heavy setted ruckman um, who's not too mobile around the ground. On to Richmond, Dustin Martin. He's a 721k mid forward. He's fully fit with a starting average of 97.2 points. He's a whopping 40% ownership. For me, that is way too high. Your thoughts? It's way too high for a reason, Pete. Um, he's, he's, he's a definite top six forward, so it's a set-and-forget situation picking Dusty. Um, but can we jump on in the early parts of the rounds or at some point during the year and get some value when he, when he dips and dives or if he ever dips and dives? So um, the guy's... In, at peak age um, for productivity as an AFL footballer, he's obviously done so much with Brownlow's, Norm Smith's premierships. He's a phenomenal player, phenomenal, powerful midfielder, and um, he can do it all. So he's 40-odd percent owned for a reason, bud. For me, there are a couple of things here. We know over the last couple of years he's missed a game here and there, which has been critical. Secondly, his role across half-back, sweeping around the back of packs. That, that's over. His position now is a mid-forward. So I just don't see... I see an average of 100, no problem whatsoever. But for me, there's no value in starting with Martin. Yeah, OK, fair enough. On to Marlon Pickett. On to Marlon Pickett. 
There's probably not much to think about here, Jeb. He's 170k mid. If he's healthy at round one, he's playing. He's 59% owned. Yeah, he's much like Raul, isn't he? You just gotta and young. You just gotta lock him in, and it'll be pretty obvious. So we know what he can produce after the grand final last year. Let's just put him in the midfield, starting on our field, and and enjoy the uh, the benefits. On to St Kilda, Hunter Clark, 574k defender. There's so many experienced players that have entered the club down at St Kilda. This will impact some players, and one of those players could be Clark. He's 4% owned, Jeb. Your thoughts on Clark? Yeah, I'm, I'm liking the fact that people are deterred by that issue, by having Brad Hill around. Will that affect Hunter Clark's scoring? I can't see many others, you know, affecting his scores. In fact, I think it enhances his scores, mm-hmm. having quality players around him personally. And I've always had that mantra um, with most players. So I think he's... He's a jet. I think he's gives a, a huge upside this season. Absolutely huge upside this season. So um, he's high on my watch list. He's not in my team at the minute, but um, that's just from placement point of view and, and having others around him, Screaming Valley like Houston, Doherty and the like. So um, I'm not going to ignore him, and he's um, we'll talk about him more throughout the rest of preseason. When he started to play that halfback role last year, his numbers started to spike significantly. And that's what has caught the attention of plenty of fantasy coaches. If he can sit in that role earlier this year, there's potential that he can provide quite a bit of value. Uh, for me, there is not much interest at the moment. I just want to see how the Saints mix evolves over the preseason. On to Dylan Robinson. He's a 327k defender. He might be one of those players returning that could impact Clark. He's 41% owned. Jeppa, I have him, do you? Yeah, I've got him as well. And don't disagree that he's going to potentially impact um, Clark's scores. But, um, yeah, let's make a call on that later after the March series, eh? For sure. On to the Swans, Jordan Dawson, 614k defender forward. He's set for a defensive role this season as per John Longmire. He's 4% owned, Jeff. Any, any chance there for you? No, nah, zero. Jake Lloyd, 795k defender. Many will fade Lloyd to begin in 2020. He's 31% owned. Jeff, I have him. Do you? Yeah, I've got him as well. Um, but he is one I'm looking to move on. And mentioning Hunter Clark before, if um, if I do pull Hunter Clark in, it's it's for Lloyd, mm-hmm. which sounds crazy. Um but it frees up a bit of cash that I can use elsewhere. I guess the fear is the back end of 2019 when his scores started to drop after his early season surge. Uh, if Dawson is back there in that back line taking plenty of ball from him, his numbers might be a little bit flat this year for Lloyd, and therefore he might be a fade for many. I can see why people are jumping off. Your thoughts there? Um, I remember from a DFS game last year, and, and again, we talk about holding their values early. There's a Dawson factor. But let's be honest, Lloyd's the quarterback. He's the number one preferred to bring the ball out of the back line at Sydney. Um, but Gold Coast sat on him and tagged him hard. And they played, Gold Coast played the Swans in round three. So we, we can consider that. It just, yes, it's just one game. Um, what happens before and after that is probably going to even out. But, um, yeah, just food for thought 
that's things that are going through my head at the moment, mate. On to West Coast, Tim Kelly, 719K mid. He'll be part of the midfield crew at the Eagles. He's 9% earned, Jeff. Any chance there for you? No, none for me. He'll be learning his role in the early parts of the year. Um, and, yeah, just there's no value there. On to Jared Brander, 217K defender forward. It seems as though every senior West Coast player mention him at every chance. The price and position does suit us as fantasy coaches, and he's 5% owned yet. Yeah, look, we've, we've got a settled 22, 24, 25 players in it at West Coast. And I say we because they're my team, obviously. I went through this last year. I got... I had some discussions with people um, in the inner sanctum West Coast that saw it as producing pre-season, but unfortunately he wasn't given a role in the earlier rounds. Um, and when he did play, he didn't produce two bigger scores. So if he, there's talk of a wing role, I can't see it happening personally. Um, uh, yes, Marston's left, but Tim Kelly comes in. It's, it's yeah, it's not looking good from a job security point of view. On to the Western Bulldogs, Jack McRae, 858k mid. Despite the high price tag, he's 32% owned yet. Yeah, and I'm one of them. I'm one of the part of that 32%. He's, he's fantastic. Um, it's really what I don't want to miss out on not having McRae, given his high ceiling as a midfielder um, and the way the Bulldogs play their football. So, yeah, look, he's, he's, there's no injury noise out, out at Bulldogs for him. So he's, he's pretty locked away for me. Another one of those high-priced players at the Bulldogs is Josh Dunkley. He's an 824k mid. The McRae-Dunkley combo will be popular option at round one, Jeb. He's 15% owned. Yeah, it would be a popular option having McRae and Dunks, but... Um, no, it's not for me at this point. I'm um, not taking away anything from Dunkley. And again, his ceiling is also very, very high. Um, and um, But I just... Let's start the year with one premium midfielder from each team. Um, that's where I'm at. But it could all change before round one for sure. Absolutely. On a final note, when watching the second week of the Marsh Community Series, be aware the State of Origin Bushfire Relief Game is on the same week. West Coast, Essendon, GWS, Sydney, Fremantle, Carlton, Richmond and Collingwood will be impacted. Fantasy coaches will need to adjust thinking accordingly. Your thoughts there, Jeff? Yeah, so not having full squads to pick on, pick from, but mm-hmm. um, I suppose those players playing in the All-Star Game are treating it like a pre-season match, so... Um, we can look at their fitness. Um, we can't take much from their role on field because it's all all a bit um, all-star-ish, isn't it? Um, yep. Given the NBA All-Star weekend's just been gone. Um, so, yeah, look, I will gauge it. We pretty much know those playing in the All-Star game where, where they fit in in their respective clubs. So I don't, we'll just need to monitor it. I guess those clubs impacted there the second game of their pre-season Marsh Series game, that's the one to look at for structure and player positions because that will pretty much be a full-on hit-out for those clubs. 
Yeah, and that's traditionally how it's panned out in the past. Agreed mm-hmm. there. Any thoughts heading into the preseason games, Jeb? Any mistakes? Anything to look out for? Are you going to lock your team? Are you going up a new spreadsheet to figure out some players that you might have an interest in? What are, well, your, I, what are your thoughts? Typically, I lock away my teams at the end of each month, so the end of December, into January, and pretty much it'll be just before the March series starts. So I've got a full-on expert spreadsheet, as, as many hardcore guys do. Um, and it's just to dwell back on notes uh, as well. But then, yeah, we'll, I've got a pretty in-depth watch list that's important for Everyone should have that and um, looking out for the players they want to see on, on field and how they fit from a job security point of view and their their role and scoring potential. So mm. um, being organised prior to the mastery is important, buddy. Ball winning ability for me. Uh, that's one of the key takeaways. Uh, obviously, we're looking at Real, Anderson, Stevens, and a few others that we will potentially be targeting at round one. Can they score and what what rate do they score? Their minutes on the ground and you equate that into uh, points per minute. So all these things that we want to start to look at over the Marsh series, they're, they're important numbers. Uh, for the premium players, we want to start to look at centre bounce attendances, if there's any change up in the mix over pre-season games. But again, I'll remind you, these are just pre-season games. When round one starts, they pretty much will revert to what happened late last year. For me, it's just pretty much locking away your team, opening up a new spreadsheet, putting down players of interest, because what I can forecast many coaches do is that the first game of the March series happens and people start to jump into their team, they see a high score and adjust their team, which can lead to some heavy mistakes, Jeb. Yeah, it's a big no-no, and hence, like you noted, why we, we save our previous teams for referencing. For sure. Before I close this podcast, if you would like a chance of scoring a plus six podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter. We'll give a few away towards the end of preseason. Again, I would like to thank each and every listener for the listens and the support over our early part of the plus six podcast. The listens have been absolutely enormous and it's been really overwhelming for me and Jeff. On that note, we'll wrap up this podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.